Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Devraga Personal Finance, Episode 85. And in this episode, I thought I'd go into detail about blockchain technology. The most common application of this technology currently is cryptocurrency. But blockchain technology can be applied in other fields such as financial transactions, property transactions, legal transactions, and many more scenarios. In the next episode, I'll go into detail specifically about Bitcoin as a form of cryptocurrency. For those of you that are new to the channel, remember there are three aims of this channel. Number one is to educate, number two is to be empowered about your finances, and number three is to be entertained. Now just a short disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor, nor am I an accountant, I'm not a lawyer or a financial planner. Make sure you take any financial decisions you make after listening to my podcast to your appropriate advisors. In other words, don't listen to some random guy on the podcast channel and make financial decisions based on what you hear. If you're stuck on what to do though, here are some simple steps to get you in the right direction when it comes to saving, investing and personal finance in general. In my humble view, there are five easy steps which anybody could do. Step one is to pay yourself first. Take 20% of your after-tax money and put it aside. That is your hard-earned pay-yourself money. Step two, invest that money, preferably into something that you understand or want to understand. For me, I understand index funds, so I just invest in index funds. Step three is to reinvest dividends. The power of compounding is very real. So never cash out your dividends during your accumulation phase of your wealth during your working life. Remember, dividends in retirement is what's going to pay the bills. Step four, do it for the long term. I'm not talking 5, 10 or even 15 years. I'm talking 20, 30 or even 40 plus years. And step five, always make sure you automate the investment. Automation is my favorite step. If you did these steps, you're more likely to have more money than you'll ever need in your life. And remember, money is just a tool. It doesn't bring happiness. Use it as a tool to make your life better, but most importantly, to make the people around you, their lives better. Now to the main topic. So what actually is blockchain technology? Now, it's literally, think about it, like a chain of blocks where every single block is connected to each other. So you can think about it like cubes, for example, like blocks, real blocks, which are being held together by chains. Now, let's use this physical analogy because blockchain technology is a digital sort of technological process. Um, but I'm going to use this physical analogy and discuss the concept of blockchain technology in more depth. Now, each block represents digital information and the database is represented by the chain holding all of the blocks together. So hopefully you've got that sort of basic visual representation of what blockchain is. 
So what does each block actually store? It stores information about date, time, and actual amount of money being spent. It also stores information about who are the participants of the transaction. So the most common transaction when you think about it is a buyer and seller. So each block then stores information in a unique way, such that the digital information stored is unique to that block. This unique digital signature is called a hash. The hash is unique to that block and allows us to tell it apart from other blocks. So let's use a real life physical example to see how the blockchain might work if it were to be practiced in real life. Suppose you're the customer. You go into an online store, so you go to Kogan.com, for example. You buy a TV, and that TV will be delivered to your home address. If there was blockchain technology involved, this is how it might work. The date, the time, total cost, information about Kogan and you, the participants of the transaction, is stored in the block. Now, I'm not sure whether Kogan actually uses blockchain technology, so I'm just using that as an example. Your personal details are not stored, but it may create a unique code to identify you, and of course, Kogan has its own code. And this is why blockchain technology has been referred to as the most private transactions. Now, suppose another person also logs on to Kogan.com and purchases another TV. This information is also stored in a unique way in a block. Now, suppose a couple of hours later, you want to buy another TV, exactly the same TV. When you make that purchase, even though the details of the transaction will be almost exactly the same, except the time of the purchase, it creates a brand new hash, that is a brand new unique code to identify this transaction. So does this mean that every transaction is stored in one block independently of other transactions? And the answer is no. So basically what happens is each block, for example in Bitcoin as an example, can store up to a certain size of data. And the size of data sort of differs between the blockchain technology. This means in a single block, depending on the size of financial transactions, it can store hundreds, if not thousands of transactions in that single block. So to use a physical analogy, if you have a block, let's say represented by a physical box, you store hundreds and thousands of marbles inside the box, those marbles represent each transaction, and that box represents the block. The label on the box represents the unique code called the hash. Now back to our example of buying a TV via Kogan. In real life, there may be hundreds, if not thousands of people buying all sorts of products via Kogan's website. When these purchases are made, there are verification processes. So, for example, if you use MasterCard or Visa, there's all sorts of verifications made to ensure that Kogan actually gets their money before they dispatch the product. If this was using blockchain technology, your purchase will be packaged alongside all of the other transactions and placed in a block. So how does this block of transactions get added to the chain or the database of transactions? With blockchain technology, the verification process is done automatically. That is, a bunch of computers automatically verify the transaction to ensure what you did actually did happen. So I'll go into a bit more detail about this further in the episode. 
Once the verification occurs, the transaction is then stored in the block. So you can think about like a verification process as like a gateway and the gate opens and that verification process then occurs and that transaction gets plonked into a digital block. Given that block is given a hash, that is a unique code, um, here is the most important thing that happens when that transaction gets verified. The block has all these transactions within it is also given the hash of the most recent previous block added to the blockchain, that is added to the database. And once all of that's verified, it gets added to the blockchain and that information now becomes public. That is, it becomes public database. So the important thing is every block has a bunch of transactions in it and then it gets a unique code called a hash but before that block is fully finalized and gets added to the blockchain, it's given the hash of the previous block that was added just before. And that's a really important thing that you need to understand. And that's why blockchain becomes very, very um, technologically secure. It's very difficult to hack. So I'll go into that a bit more detail later in the episode as to why. So I guess now that that's happened, does this mean that you sitting in your home right now can connect to the blockchain and view the database? Well, technically, yes, but practically no, because there's, you know, the computers are very high powered these days uh, where you get special GPU computers that actually you need to be able to use to connect to the blockchain. But back in 2009, when Bitcoin, for example, was first invented or discovered, um, yeah, you could have used your home computer to connect to the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, now, once you sort of connect to the blockchain using a computer, you become a node and the node is like a hub and your computer or the group of computers become a node or a hub that can then get connected to the blockchain. And if you did that and made that connection, your computers receive a copy of the blockchain that is automatically updated whenever a new block is added. And let's face it, the blockchain is just a bunch of unique digital code. This means that each node or computer network that connects to the blockchain receives a copy of the blockchain. Think of it like a really, really big digital code that gets distributed around the world. So at this stage, for example, for something like Bitcoin, there are literally millions of copies of blockchains floating around. So in summary so far, the block contains transactional information, thousands of them. That gets verified and uploaded to the chain, which is basically the public database. Each block has a unique hash code, which is a code, and it also contains the hash of the most recent block added to the chain. This is why blockchain technology is called a distributed, decentralized public ledger. In other words, suppose banks operated like this, it would amount that each financial institution is stored, uh, sorry, each financial transaction, I beg your pardon, is stored in a ledger in which each CBA branch is located rather than stored in a central database somewhere in Sydney where they may have their company headquarters. So imagine if, you know, your local Commonwealth Bank branch had a ledger which had a copy of all the transactions that ever occurred in CBA, and then you go to another branch and they also had the same copy, 
you can imagine how difficult it would be to hack into each of those copies in each of those branches in order to change the financial transaction records. And that's why blockchain technology is considered a distributed, decentralized public ledger. So then what is this concept of a blockchain height? Now think about it like when you play games uh, in the arcade um, center. When I was young, I used to love playing arcade games. And even now I take my uh, two kids to the arcade games uh, whenever it's safe to do so. Of course, with COVID, we haven't been for several months, but certainly we used to do that pre-COVID um, because, you know, it's always nice to um, play Daytona. I love that game. But there's always games in the arcade where you need to drop blocks and you build massive towers. Um, hopefully you kind of know what I'm talking about. You can get apps about it. This is a kind of like a blockchain situation because each block gets added and the tower gets higher and higher and higher and hopefully very stable. And this means each block must have a specific height, the height at its unique position in the tower. Now, the blockchain technology has this feature too. So why is blockchain considered more secure? Well, it's considered more secure because each block is a hash code, as we discussed before, and also the hash code of the previous block added to it. This means if you wanted to go back and alter the contents of the block, the transactional information, it will create a new hash for that block. But remember, blockchain means every node or every computer connected to the blockchain also has a copy of the blockchain, like a unique code. So if you needed to change transactional information, you will need to do it across the board. And this is almost impossible to do. To use the Commonwealth Bank situation, if a hacker went into a particular branch and hacked and changed the financial transaction information, the hacker must also go into each other branch of the CBA and make the exact same changes in the transactions. Otherwise, it would create a disparity in the blockchain. Remember, every branch also has the same unique code. To make matters worse, when you change the information within a block, you get a new hash code. Then you need to change the previous block's information too, which generates a new hash code, and the process goes on and on and on endlessly. Hence, making transactional adjustments very difficult, because once you add a block to the blockchain, it becomes permanent. It's final. To make matters even worse, to change such huge levels of information takes a lot of computing power and energy, which costs real money. So it might not be worth it for the hacker financially, to actually change the blockchain because it's going to cost them more rather than the benefit. So it's such a disincentive to do so. So how to ensure that blockchain is secure? Like how do you become part of the node or computer network that has one of these blockchains? Well, you become eligible to add blocks to the blockchain. Um, it's a bit like playing in a professional sport like the NBA, for example. You can't randomly rock up and shoot hoops and get paid millions of dollars. You need to prove yourself. You need to go through rigorous competitions to be eligible to be drafted to the NBA. It's similar in the blockchain world. To be able to add blocks to the blockchain, computers must prove themselves in order to make it in the real blockchain world. This is called proof of work. So, in other words, computers and nodes need to kind of have some street cred. And what is that street cred, or how do you get it, or what is proof of work? Well, basically, computers must solve complex puzzles or mathematical solutions or problems in order to prove they're capable of adding blocks to the blockchain. 
The process of adding blocks to the blockchain is called mining. And this is where you hear people saying they're mining for Bitcoins, for example. And remember, Bitcoin is just one form of cryptocurrency. And cryptocurrency is just one application of blockchain technology. So what they're actually doing in their mining is trying to solve complex problems and puzzles in order to become eligible to add a block of information. Now, cryptocurrencies have their own complex math problems. For example, Bitcoin, at odds of solving one of those problems, is actually 1 in 15 trillion. It only gets worse as time goes by. And to solve complex mathematical solution problems, computers must use huge amounts of energy, which cost a lot of money. This is why blockchain technology is considered more secure. It's a distributed ledger system which is automated online. Now that we've learned a little bit about blockchain, let's use Bitcoin as an example and put it into practice. Now, my next episode, I'll go into Bitcoin in a little bit more detail, but this is just the basics. Let's assume thousands and millions of people around the world have Bitcoins or parts of it. You can actually own parts of Bitcoin. You want to spend the Bitcoin. This is where the blockchain technology comes in. Imagine in the same situation is millions of people around the world wanting to spend their US dollars, printed money. The printed money is a form of fiat currency, is the first government issued, for example, and all of these secret codes and anti-tamper technology built into the notes. But ultimately, it's controlled by the government. It's a centralized system. Bitcoin isn't. Bitcoin, on the other hand, is a completely outside of the government. It's not regulated. It's distributed. It's kind of like everyone has their own little printing press with unique codes, and it'd be very hard to tamper with the printed money. So Bitcoin is not controlled by any one person or governing body or government. So if someone buys something using Bitcoin, computers all around the world rush to try and verify that transaction by solving complex problems. And once it's solved, the computer gives the block of transactions a hash code and the verification process is done. And the transaction is publicly recorded and stored as a block on the blockchain. In the case of Bitcoin, computers that successfully do this are awarded Bitcoins, and this process is called mining. So if your computer does this and you get a Bitcoin, it's free. And we know Bitcoin can be worth a lot of money based on current value. It's highly volatile, but I think currently it's valued at around $13,000. And back in 2017, it went up past $20,000 per Bitcoin. Now, the information stored, even though it's a public database in the blockchain, the user information, who bought and sold, etc., is not stored publicly. It's a confidential system, hence why illegal for illegal activities, which cryptocurrency is famously known for. So I hope this clarifies a lot of questions about blockchain technology and using Bitcoin as an example. So let's see the practical applications of blockchain technology in the real world. Let's talk about banks. The obvious advantage here is that banks are only open during business hours and limited during weekends. Integrating blockchain technology means that banks can technically be open 24 hours, seven days a week. For example, if you transferred money tonight at midnight, the other person receiving the money won't see it hit their account until the next day. What if this transfer can happen instantly anywhere in the world, irrespective of the banks or institutions? Blockchain technology allows for this to happen. Blockchain can be used in institutional trading, for example. Currently, international trades can take up to one to two days to settle. 
but with blockchain, it can take within 10 minutes, basically the time it takes to add a block to the chain. For banks, time is money and time is opportunity cost. So research has shown some banks can save up to $20 billion by adopting blockchain technology. It's also good for customers as fees will go down because there is no central regulatory body. Cryptocurrency, obvious advantage. We've talked about this before and we will talk about it in the next episode, but currently the currency value is determined by the number of factors, geopolitics, unstable government situations, global events. COVID is a great example. Currency today is controlled and regulated by central banks and governments. If Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is adopted widely, it means there is no central authority. This means it eliminates need for fees, and it also means, due to the distributed nature of the currency, geopolitics is one country doesn't really matter. Healthcare. We've already established that changing healthcare records would be impossible if blockchain technology is used. And healthcare records, it's something that you don't want to be altered or changed at any time. So with blockchain, once healthcare records are accepted into the block and chain, it's final. It can't be edited. It's almost impossible. So the blocks can be locked digitally with a private key. And so only certain individuals can access it. And it's quite an advantage in today's world. In 2019, a number of hospital IT systems were hacked, uh, particularly in Australia, in, uh, in Victoria, and potentially millions of healthcare records were at risk and ransoms were paid to overseas hackers to give back the stolen information. With blockchain, this sort of hacking is almost impossible to do. Now, if you're a doctor in the Victorian public health system, you know what I mean. There was a massive hack last year. Uh, blockchain technology can also be used in property records. Currently, some person in the council updates property ownership records, which is a pain if they make a mistake. Using blockchain can eliminate this as it's automated and again means less fees for the record keeping. Public elections, public election fraud. And it's, it's a massive topic um, in any country. Uh, there's a big election coming up in November in the United States and uh, voter fraud is something that the politicians often talk about there. With blockchain, blockchain technology, you can eliminate voting fraud. Each vote can be stored on a block and those votes cannot be altered because it's final and the process of conducting election can be automated. So there's a lot of applications of blockchain technology in real world, um, but the most common application at the moment seems to be in cryptocurrency. So let's look at the pros and cons of blockchain in general. The pros are it removes human elements and therefore chances of mistakes are low. It reduces cost and fees by eliminating third-party verifications. The decentralization nature makes it very hard to tamper with, it's relatively transparent because the blockchain is public and transactions are secure, private and efficient. The cons are that the significant initial technology cost and running cost, especially mining, data, energy use. So maybe if you have you know, solar panels and you're completely cost neutral in terms of energy, that might be a better option for you. It doesn't allow for millions of transactions per second. Unfortunately, bitcoins can only do seven transactions per second, which is pretty slow. Other coins like Ethereum can do about 20. Uh, compare this to Visa and MasterCard, which can do up to 24,000 transactions per second. So Bitcoin and cryptocurrency transactions are quite slow. And it's got very bad street cred. Illegal use activity is on the rise. So most people associate cryptocurrency and blockchain technology with illegal use. So it's not great. 
So that's about it for this episode about blockchain technology. It has huge number of applications outside of the crypto world. And in the next episode, I'll go into detail about Bitcoin specifically as an example of a cryptocurrency. Now, all cryptocurrencies use blockchain technology, but not all blockchain technology is about cryptocurrency. This is a common mistake that people make. So that's about it for this episode. Thank you very much for the questions, likes and comments. Remember to like Devraga Facebook page and shout out for the questions and comments on that as well. And also thank you for all those people that are private messaging me for topic suggestions and also asking me questions. Share this channel if you like it with your family and friends. Uh, you can share it via the Anchor app, the CastBox app, Spotify app, Google Podcasts, Player FM and directly via devraga.com. And remember, always pay yourself first. Um, make sure you take that 20% of your after-tax income and pay yourself. And learn about blockchain. And don't get siloed into thinking blockchain is all about crypto. It's not. It's got other applications as well. Once again, this is Devraga Personal Finance, episode 85. And as always, please stay safe. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 